Welcome aboard, Captain. Welcome back to the Wrath of Khan Minute, the semi-daily podcast where we analyze and discuss Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan, one minute at a time. I'm Chris LaSalle. And I'm David Stoker. Hey, Dave. Welcome back. Welcome back, sir. And uh, today we are welcoming uh, some guests to the show. Uh, We've got John Engel and Mitch Bryan from the Alien Minute. Hey, guys. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. Good to be here. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Scary minutes Absolutely. ahead. Yes, yeah, especially <laughs> you're our perfect guests for this round of minutes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so today we're going to be talking about Minute 61. Uh, minute 61 starts with Skir- uh, Kirk exploring the hallways of Regular One and ends a minute later with uh, McCoy yelling, Jim! Jim! <laughs> uh, yeah. This is our only minute... Um, we've had some minutes where, you know, it's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, music and exploration, but there's always been some dialogue a little bit. I think this is our only minute with one word in it. Yeah. That's right at the end too. Yep. It's right at almost, the end. Almost got through a whole minute. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I hadn't noticed that until you pointed that out just before we came on air, Dave. So, um, but yeah, it starts with uh, with uh, the gang all splitting up and starting to explore the hallways. And um, I really like the way they set this shot up. Um, as far as you know, it's it's you see Kirk going one way, uh, you see the uh, the next door opening up, and Savick coming our way, and McCoy going. You know, they're all they're all going in different directions, but it's and all. And then is of... that Kirk back in the background going the other way, just wandering around back there, or is that McCoy? That's McCoy. Oh. No, it is Kirk. I think it's Kirk. I think he's like oh, he went it? one way and he turned around and he came back. He's like, I don't know where no, I'm going. No, I actually think that's McCoy because okay. Kirk Yeah, Kirk's going to the left at the at our opening shot. We see him down the long hallway. Yeah. Kirstie Alley as Savix coming through number three, and then right behind her, heading the other way, is McCoy. Okay. Yeah, it's nice we get the layout here and everybody's position on the on the set here in this one shot. Yep. Including Ahura. Uh, Got to talk about this because this one really – I never really gave it much thought in the million times I've watched this movie until today. But um, what is her – what do you think she's doing? She's like, being ignored, I think. Well, I think she's trying to get a hold of everybody and she doesn't she's, – she's, nobody's responding. Well, my question is though, what exactly is she supposed to – what was her orders here? Because they're on the space station. Right. Yeah. So she's, you know, we find out, I guess it's in the next minute, we find out exactly what she's saying here since she's not uh, audible in this in this minute. Which but I, she's I, just I, continuing to ask for uh, the space station to come back. I mean, is she asking for Kirk to respond or is she still just asking for anybody from the from the science team to respond? It seems kind of weird that she continue. If they're on the ship, uh, then she should. Um, know that nobody's either nobody's going to answer or they're going to be face to face with who she's calling, right? So I I have two things here. One is you can't hear her. So why is there no? I mean, obviously I get why there's no audio. It's to set the tension of the minute. 
you know, them walking around in complete silence where you're only hearing the doo-doo-doo of the, uh, of the tricorder. But I think because we know that communications at one point were disrupted to regular one, so I'm guessing her orders were see if you can contact us once we get to the station. Yeah. That's, what I, that's what I would like to believe. Well, traditionally, that would be uh, via communicator, right? I agree with that. That's yes, but to your point, I agree that that it's kind of weird that she's using sort of the the communication, uh, the compic system, I guess, as it was. Mm. Uh, the old compic. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the old days. Um, I one of the things I noticed going through this minute too is is uh, all the different doors that everybody's walking through, and this is really. Savick's kind of the first one to go through one. Her doors don't open all the way. They don't, right. Doesn't that seem like that's a huge set of doors? Why do they only open like two-thirds of the way open? And well, at the beginning, of, at the beginning of the minute, you, when you look, we see Kirk, his his doors don't open all the way either in that sort of hallway shot. Oh, okay. so, so, so I don't think the just... doors go all the way open. Yeah, they don't, apparently. I, I don't know what the practical reason would be for that, but... I, I have a theory. What do you okay. got? Well, I just think that uh, I think that this is a really cheap set, <laughs> and I think that they had to shoot really fast on these days. And I think that the budget kind of shows in this set, and that's why it always looks the best when it's got something in the foreground, kind of halfway blocking the shot. Because whenever they go to the super wide shot, if there's nothing in the foreground, it looks like kind of a bad set. Oh, so I don't know. Maybe the guy <laughs> pushing the door in and out. You know, I don't know. Maybe maybe. There's, he was tired. He was tired. Maybe he's tired, or maybe he's just they couldn't design it perfectly. I don't know. It, it, I always feel like these minutes are the are where the budget shows. I don't feel like the budget shows much in this movie, but this seems to be one of those places where they're kind of. I feel sometimes like they're trying to get through this as quickly as they can. Maybe go. They're going through the motions a little bit in this in this minute before you know it, they get somewhere. Uh, I'm not sure. Hmm. I've, I've always I've always kind of found these really bumpy minutes. I tend to agree agree with you to an extent, Mayor Mitch, because if you look at, you know, as the minute progresses, when once we get into the hub of the of the science station here, what's the what exactly would be the reason for the, all this blue business? This structure that's right in the middle of uh, it, it kind of seems obstructive as well. Like you're saying about the doors, perhaps they just need they want to just have things in the shot that mask some of the problems that are going on behind. I don't know. I can see your point there for sure. I was also going to say, though, that when the doors open, uh, perhaps if they regularly stay open, like if you have them open and you keep them open on a regular basis, you can still at least read the uh, where you're going, uh, what module and what is uh, in that module as yeah. well. So that's a that's probably reaching but an attempt to have a practical reason for the doors not opening completely. Yeah. I think that's a good theory. I like that. Yeah. Does it, does it heighten the tension a little bit or does it heighten that there's something going on here? Like the doors don't open all the way. What is the, is there shenanigans going on here that, you know, oh, maybe something else is happening. It couldn't hurt. I think anything that they can do to kind of goose the tension in these minutes, they definitely are trying to do. Yeah, it's hard not to feel a question pop up when they don't open completely. They might not even consciously, you know, register it when you're watching the movie. But uh, you you kind of wonder why they didn't open. You know, you say to yourself, "Well, why aren't those opening?" And maybe it's in your subconscious, but it's something that does build tension a little bit. 
So I, I think one of the uh, one of the things I, I, I do like about this minute is the uh, is Shatner's uh, movie trailer moment mm-hmm. uh, when, when the Fantastic. when the door yeah when the door is open. He, he does, and you know, I actually, I'm glad you guys are here because I, I know you guys, uh, you talk a lot about you know behind the scenes and how these movies are made, or you know at least how Alien is made, and um, and there's something about this shot that I'm always like, why does it look so good? Is it just the way he's lit? Is it uh, the the background? I don't know. Is it a combination of everything? Do you guys have an opinion on that? Yeah, it's all of those things. It's a slightly longer lens. And um, it's it's he looks great. There's another one too, a little bit later, where the camera just does a little push in. I think it's at the beginning of this next minute, and he looks great in that one too. I mean, these are real, these are real hero shots. You know? Is that the one where he's turning around? He's at like the control panel, and he's yeah, yeah, sort of turns around, and the and the yeah, the, the they just pull in, just tiny a... little push in, and it's just like yeah, he looks great. You know, and I mean, he you know he he looks good in this movie. The wig looks good. Everything is good. He's, he's, trimmed, he's trimmed down a little bit, you know, and I just, I, I love the way he looks in this movie. Yeah, he's in T.J. Hooker shape right now. Yeah. <laughs> he's just ready to jump on the hood of a car. Yeah. <laughs> he's been hanging on to hoods. Um, I was going to talk about this, that moment quite a bit because um, I think if I were to ever pick a definitive moment that made me, like, got, where Star Trek got its hooks into me is this. And it's not from watching the movie. It's from the intro before the ABC Sunday Night Movie, which was the first time I ever saw the movie. And when they're doing the, the little montage of what you're about to see with the awesome voiceover, when they go to list the stars of the movie, when they say William Shatner, it's right as this thing opens, you know? And it was so badass to me right. when I was a kid that this is honestly why... Uh, it might have been why I picked these minutes because I kind of wanted to talk about this this specific shot because it's so it's one of the most I mean I love Kirk across the board I love him from the original series but never did he seem as cool to me as he does in this one little second when this door opens and I, I don't know in my mind it's always established him uh, visually to me. Yeah, I, I agree. He looks. Do they? Do you guys know? Do they sometimes when they make when they shoot these things, they say, "Well, that we're just going to do this for the trailer," <laughs> like they plan it that way. I, Mitch, you probably have more to say about that. More now than ever. I don't know whether they were thinking that then, but nowadays they yeah. always talk about trailer lines and scripts and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I feel like we see today like things that you know we as the nerd community we see things and we pick trailers apart and it's. When we watched the movie, we were like, hey, that part wasn't in there. That was in the trailer. Or I remember seeing her in this place, but that wasn't there. So I, 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 I agree with you that I think today they definitely do things just for trailers. And, you know, that shot is both that shot and the head turn shot earlier or later on. I mean, they're both really kind of old fashioned movie, movie kind of shots. And I feel like Nicholas Meyer is making a very classical kind of Hollywood movie here. And so you expect a few of those beautiful close-ups of your leading actors, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember if you guys really talked about Nicholas Meyer's approach um, to this movie being a a non-Star Trek guy like he was, Um, you know, starting with the 23rd century thing and then the ear Spock's ear. So his dad would know it was Star Trek and all the stuff that he says in the, and the, uh, um, commentary. I think Mitch is right. There, this classical approach 
making something very straightforward, very palatable to um, everybody was part of his job making this movie, I think, where he was tasked with uh, doing the opposite of what Robert Wise had done in the motion picture, which was make it so everybody wants to see this movie where it's not just for Trekkies or not just for sci-fi nerds. But um, I think that taking a very uh, classic approach was a great way to do that. Yeah, it's much more. Uh, I don't know if "approachable" is the right word, but you know, it's more. It's more more of a classic science fiction movie than it is. I mean, it's definitely you know it's Star Trek, but it's also you know science fiction that I think anybody could could walk into and appreciate. And he'd never shot CinemaScope before, so he was also kind of figuring that out as he was making this movie. And so there's a. I'm not gonna say it's conservative, but there's a particular way that you can compose in that cinemascope frame. There's a particular way that you can move the camera. Frankly, there's a particular way you have to light because you need more light because of those anamorphic lenses. So there's a lot of things that kind of combined to make this movie feel like a very classical Hollywood kind of movie. Huh. I did not know that. I mean, in fact, this next shot after that Kirk close-up is just sort of this really, it's one of those places where, um, you know, there's there's a dolly move and the foreground is moving and then I think that's I think it's when Savick's coming up closer to the to the frame and um, you know it's not that shadowy it's not that spooky but you still kind of get this sense of the scale that she's in, you know the place the, where she's positioned in the frame um, it's again one of those moments where they may be covering up their budget but they're taking full advantage of everything that they've they've got to use you know right yeah yeah. Um... So uh, we we cut to uh, McCoy going down the hallway and uh, <laughs> we get our get our our first jump scare. Uh, uh, what is that? Is that a space rat? Is that what we uh, what do you guys think it is? Does anybody want to motivate this jump scare? I mean, did he hear the rat and was it that loud that it made him spin around? Did he hear the, the music on the soundtrack? The, the music singing <laughs> that scared him? Because man, I don't know. That's the teeniest, tiniest, most non-threatening mouse in the world, and he is really disturbed by it. Well, even after he clocks it, he's like, "I'm, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not taking my eyes off of this thing." Now, in in Bones' defense here, I'm wondering if he has ever in his life seen a rat outside of a laboratory. That's my guess is that in this sanitized future. Rats are just not crawling around anywhere. So to, for him to say, I could see him being a little creeped out by something like that. But then I'm a lab rat, though, right? I mean, I'm it's guessing a, it is. Yeah. Oh, a yeah, lab yeah, rat. I didn't yeah, even think he, of that. True. Uh, but, but he waits until those doors close before he even thinks about turning around and starting on. Like, <laughs> he is like, I'm not letting you out of my sight for anything, buddy. Now let's just you know think about McCoy here though he isn't he's pretty squeamish he's a squeamish guy uh, for being a doctor he's very old fashioned he doesn't he gets scared about he gets scared of the transporter he's yep he's kind of a squeamish guy he comes through in a pinch of course but uh, I could see him having a little bit maybe in the lab maybe back in if we had a uh, if Abrams would have thrown in a you know medical lab scene in Star Trek two thousand nine we would have seen how he oh I just hate those rats. <laughs> don't want to mess with those rats, you know. I'm, that would, then that would motivate the scene a little bit. So maybe he thinks it's diseased. Oh, maybe maybe. his first thought is, "Oh my God, it's you know, they're experimenting with things, and it's a, it's a plague rat or something." That's a good point. What else would it be? What would they be doing with the rat on this space station? If not, you know, 
It's a Genesis rat. <laughs> Genesis rat. It's going to start that to grow. Oh, I think. Oh. I think he would be more curious about it than anything. Like being the scientist he is and the doctor that he'd be like, how did this rat get free? Like, where did it come from? Like, maybe it does contain something. Like I figure he would be maybe motivated to uh, follow it or, you know, instead he's sort of, you know, backing off. It's sort of, yeah. <laughs> I've never seen anybody. I mean, I'm sure if I saw a rat, I would scream like a little girl and run away, <laughs> but I don't expect that out of, you know, Leonard McCoy. Right. Now, hold on. I got, I got to get back to Mitch's idea of this Genesis rat thing for just a second. <laughs> now, Mitch, Mitch, are you suggesting that perhaps in one of their experiments, they made a live rat out of like a marble or something? I don't they know. Gave, they give it a tiny, the, a microscopic Genesis effect and, <laughs> and a rat grew. Well, they put stage, it in a big round globe. and One of the stages is they do it in the laboratory. So maybe that is the... The laboratory success. I'm going with Genesis Rat, guys. That's my answer now. That's what I think. That's what we have here. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. So McCoy. Yeah. In, you, you. I think I forget which one you guys said it. Yeah. McCoy is like that is the longest back off from from a rat. He is not. He's waiting. And I, I know that the doors already. We already talked about the doors, but this set of doors could it take longer to close? This one is just like it. <laughs> I think it, maybe it's to closing slowly just for him so he can, you know, see that rat as long as possible and make sure it didn't follow him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think that obviously what we've got here is it's the old Hitchcock trick, which is you give him the false scare and then you give him the real, real scare right after that. This is not a particularly good false scare, unfortunately. But I think that's the strategy, which is one more piece of evidence to my theory that they're kind of going through the motions here that I'm not I'm not sure <laughs> how how effective this really is. Thankfully, we do get a pretty good scare now, you know, as he backs into those arms and flips around and that's not bad. Yeah, that scare still scares me. Oh, I, yeah. you know, I I know it's coming and but every time I see it, I think it's the combination of the the music that they throw at you at the very same time is very effective in even though you know it's coming uh i still i still jump a little bit yeah this scared the bejesus out of me when i was a kid i can remember it very clearly and i still think it's it's probably something we'll get into more in the next couple of minutes but it's brutal this is a this is some brutal stuff for star trek that we get I was going to say the same thing. I think this is like the first time we've ever seen anything like this in a Star Trek. I mean, there was the original series and then there's the, you know, the motion picture. And I don't think we see anything like torture or death like this in any format. Yeah, I don't think so either. The, the animated series definitely didn't have any either. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, there were a lot of, there's some pretty uh, rough deaths in the original series, and there's one really rough death in the motion picture uh, with the transporter incident. True. Ooh. Yes. But, uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But this is person to person brutality. That's where we're going to be getting into, I think, a little bit more this week. But uh, that's not stuff that they uh, definitely wasn't Roddenberryan, you know, for the most part during the original series or, or in a, uh, any earlier incarnation. So this is pretty rough stuff. It's, but like I said, man, this was, I did, I jumped right out of the couch when I was a kid and saw this. Well, and there's a weird focus rack with that point of view shot, too, which just makes it even stranger. You know, like when they cut to the shot of the guy and it kind of goes in and then it comes out of focus. It's a very deliberate, deliberate move to, to, to even make it more, you know, distressing because you can't quite see it. And then you can and then you can't. So that's 
that helps too. Yeah, it actually looks a little like a very a very abbreviated version of what you might have seen in the original series, where if you had a point of view shot and somebody was disoriented, they would do a real soft focus shot that would then maybe come in <laughs> into focus or something. This is just a micro version of it, but it is. It's disorienting. It's weird. It's almost like he kind of waves onto the into focus. Yeah. And right. then they go to an absolutely beautiful, extreme close-up of McCoy, which is kind of disorienting, too, because that's not exactly what you expect to see after well, the two previous shots. And it's a beautiful shot of him, and it's about as close... It may be as close as we've gotten on anybody in the entire movie so far. I mean, it is really in tight for his, for his shout that sort of ends the minute. Yeah. And this, and this shout, I know, Dave, you're a huge fan. That shout is, he nails it. Forrest Kelly nails it as far as the, you know, the, the, the fear, the probably the horror of the moment. Um, and uh, you know, he just sounds raw when he yells it. Oh, yeah. Jim. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, the way he responds, this horrific response he has, this visceral response, I think it's interesting as he nails it. And I think that's why you get cut, you cut back to him. Because I would think that traditionally you would do this push in on Kirk and that would be your button on the scene. But instead they cut back to McCoy again because it's kind of, his, it's really his moment. And I think that uh, DeForest Kelly was doing such a good job here. They thought they should go back for one last little reaction shot from him. All right. Well, that's uh, I, I, I'm out of notes uh, for this one. How about you guys? Yeah, that's I'm out. Me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good. I did have a question for 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 John and Mitch, and I, I forget one one of you guys already talked about uh, when you saw it, but I was I did I was curious of uh, if you if you remember the first time you saw Wrath of Khan and where you saw it. Oh man, I do. It was unbelievable because like I'm old, so I went and saw Star Trek <laughs> the Motion Picture, you know, in the movie theaters, and I was pretty underwhelmed by it. I mean, you know, I wanted we all wanted to like it. Everybody wanted to like, it. and there is much to like in that movie. It's mm. There's, I think there's maybe a, maybe there's a shorter version out there somewhere, you know, that would be the, that would make it an even better movie. Um, but I, I mean, my God, this movie in the movie theaters when it first came out, because nobody quite knew what to expect and is it going to be any good or not? You know, is it going to be kind of another boring movie? And it is so exciting. It's still exciting. I still am absolutely thrilled by the, by the space battles and by all the character stuff. And I just remember in a, really um full theater on a friday night i think we were opening opening night crowd and everybody just they just loved it you know it, was, it restored our faith in the possibilities of <laughs> star trek movies you know absolutely yeah john I, how about you i can remember almost everything about seeing this for the first time and um i'm of course much younger than mitch so um, I had to wait a couple of years to see it on TV, like I mentioned earlier, the ABC Sunday Night Movie. I remember everything about the intro. I even posted that intro on your guys' Facebook page at one point. Yeah, and I, I, that totally made me remember the first time I had seen. I'm like, yeah, because part of that minute, part of that intro is the is the part in this minute where they open the doors. Yeah, it is. And I, I just remember, I can almost remember the seating position of everyone at my grandmother's house uh, there for the holidays, I think. I'm, that part I'm, I'm hazy on. But I think we were at my grandma's for the holidays, and uh, I just loved this movie. My, I, I saw the motion picture, too, in the theater, partially. I was way too scared. I was too young to see it, and I was way too scared. And I remember us leaving early, 
And my other, uh, you know, introduction to, to Star Trek was the, mo- the animated series, actually. Uh, I probably watched it all the way through. probably saw every episode before I ever saw any Star Trek or, or any of the movies. And I just remember being blown away by this movie, and I've been uh, hooked on Star Trek ever since. Um, yeah, so it's, it's really a pleasure to get to talk about it. John, yes. do you remember when you saw the first Star Trek movie, when, they, when you first see the, the three Klingon ships? They're coming in, and that's this amazing music cue mm-hmm. at the yeah. beginning. And I remember looking at that, thinking, "Oh my God, here we go!" You know, like <laughs> if the whole movie's going to be like this, you know, which I just didn't—I just expected that would be the case, and it wasn't. Well, now, <laughs> that thing starts out like gangbusters. All I can remember about seeing it the first time was Persis Kambata, and um, I think I was a little creeped out by a bald lady. I'll be honest. And then <laughs> when she became Viger's android that was just too much i was so terrifying to me we had to leave the theater but i I shouldn't have been there in the first place i think my parents were they were doubling down on the star wars success so they had so much success taking me to star wars i think they were doubling down and hoping star trek would be it was not at all the same kind of experience that that being said i'm a giant fan of the motion picture i don't have any problem with the motion picture so Oh, you have no, you have zero problems with the motion picture. Well, of course, I could nip. I have problems with this movie. Like I can nitpick anything. Right, but, right. But Star Trek: The Motion Picture, I enjoy it from beginning to end. Um, mainly, I think of it as a as a side note movie. It's it's almost like another universe for Star Trek, and that helps me get by uh, get through some of the weird stuff with Spock and so on. But uh, I enjoy it a great deal, and I love I love the aesthetic of it. I love the feel of it. I think it's it's pretty long, but I enjoy it. I mean, I, I know that I've warmed to it, too, because there there have been other entries in the series that I did not think were as good, and suddenly the motion picture looks better. You know, yeah. I kind of, I would rather watch it than Star Trek Three, for example. You know what just popped in my head as you guys are as you're talking about the motion picture? One of the things I remember, was that rated G? Do you guys yes, remember? Yes, it was. Yes, and, it was rated G. Wow. Yeah, and we were talking about, we were talking about the transporter scene, right, with the... the, oh. the yeah. The science officer gets killed in the train. That I remember having nightmares. It was scary from that. It's really that, scary. <laughs> yeah, that is not a G. That would not get a G rating today. No. Yeah. Oh no, that'd be P, that's a pre PG thirteen scene right there. I, yeah. I don't I don't know what they were thinking with the G's back then. There's a lot of weird G. <laughs> Somebody should write a book about movies that were rated G that terrified children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, great. Well, guys, uh, I think that's, I think we're all good for this minute. Um, uh, before we wrap up, do you want to just, uh, uh, share where folks can find you guys online? Sure. Uh, we're at alienminute.com. Uh, that's where you can find, uh, downloads of alien minute, our podcast. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google app, uh, Google play app. I should say, you can also follow us on Twitter at Google, man, that's, I flipped that one. <laughs> You can follow us on Twitter at Alien Minute Pod or on Instagram at Alien Minute Podcast. Awesome, and uh, and you got you can find you can find us online uh, on Twitter WK Minute. Uh, we're on Instagram as Wrath of Con Minute, and we also have a Facebook listener group, uh, the Wrath of Con Minute Listener Federation. Um, so you can uh, find us there, and uh, we will. Will you guys be able to join us again uh, on Wednesday? Wednesday, absolutely. Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. I think I can do it. Okay, great. Uh, yeah. So we'll be back here, uh, on Wednesday with minute 62 of star Trek two here at the Rathacon minute. Jim. <laughs> <laughs>